Welcome to the Woodshop Life Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast focused on the craft of woodworking. I'm Hui Huin of the Alabama Woodworker, and I'm joined by my friends Sean Walker of Simple Cove. Hey, guys. Hey. And Guy Dunlop of Guy's Woodshop. Hello. Good Hello, evening. Hui. Hello, Guy. This podcast is intended to answer your questions, the woodworking community, and give you some of our perspectives on how we get things done in our own shops. We also have a Patreon campaign, and we'd like to thank our newest patrons, Connor Wales and Ron Cheney. If you'd like to show your support for this show, we are simply asking for a small donation to cover the cost of bringing you this podcast. Please go to patreon.com forward slash woodshoplife if you'd like to show your support. And please stick around to the end of the show. We're going to be talking briefly about what we've got going on in our own shops. So let's get right into it. Guy, what is your first question? My first question is from Joel. And Joel says, hey, fellas. In my last question, you recommended I keep an old but powerful Delta 15-inch planer. Good advice, which I intend to follow. However, I'd like to ditch its steel mobile stand for something that offers more storage. The planer is approximately 400 pounds. So am I, like, am I crazy thinking I could build something out of milled 2x4 pine or Douglas fir? I'd use all mortise and tenon construction and install heavy-duty casters on the bottom for mobility. It would probably resemble Guy's mobile miter station, but with a front and back and no flip-top. I'd appreciate your advice, Joel. So that's a good question, Joel. Uh, 400 pounds, building the frame of a mobile base out of construction lumber or Douglas fir. I'd recommend Douglas fir or if you have it available down where you are, uh, Southern Yellow Pine. Absolutely. That, uh, another good example is I bought a um, drum sander, a Performax drum sander, 1938, and that thing weighs like 300 pounds. I never even bought the mobile base for it. I just instantly built my own, and it was all mortise and tenon, milled Douglas fir. And then I added my own stuff, you know, like drawers and things like that, which, I, which I'm a big fan of drawers. Have you guys built mobile carts before like that? Absolutely. We? Yep. Mm -hmm. And I did the same thing with the uh, Supermax sander. Sorry, my dogs are barking in the background. Uh, oh, that's right. You saw mine and you copied it. Uh, pretty much. Um, well, I... I, I I mean, I called you and asked you about it and whether or not it was, well, no, no, no. I mean, I, I did because I didn't know if whether or not it would be, you know, it's, it's a fairly heavy sander. You know, you got the yeah. motor on the outboard on that. And I, I actually asked you how you um, secured it to the top or uh, excuse me, the cart itself. And you basically said, I just, you just put like blocks on either side just so that it wouldn't shift around. I was like, really, you don't have vibration issues. And you were like, nope, none at all. So I did the same thing. It's not like bolted down or anything. It's just on top of the cart with blocks um, sort of securing it so it doesn't shift around when you move it. And it's it's fine. Yeah. Did, did you build a frame out of, did you make a frame out of like, you know, two by four material or did you just make like this regular cabinet with sides and a top? And I made a cabinet with sides and a top. I reinforced the top. So it's, it is two pieces of three quarter inch ply that are laminated together. But does it sit on, does it sit on the sides where the, 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 the load is shifting to the, the sides or is it the, the top goes across and fits into the sides? Uh, I'm trying to 
envision what you said there. So the way I guess I, what I'm saying is, it does does the does the top fit into the sides, or does it sit on top of the sides? The top sits on top of the sides. Um, and okay. then what I have is I have a center because I've got a door and three drawers. So I have a center divider along the center. And then okay. I forgot to mention this. Uh, the bottom is joined two by fours uh, so that I, there's a little bit more meat for the casters to screw into. But the rest of the rest of the structure, there's no two by four. It's just all. Right, right plywood mm -hmm. and then i also put uh because i didn't have any half inch i just used a three-quarter inch backer so the back panel is three-quarters yeah. of an inch you know add some rigidity but it but it does fine what i do now is actually if i have any tool that goes on top because I've, I've made a couple other carts i do a two by four frame on top that the uh that the plywood top sits on top that helps you know maybe distribute some of the you know the weight or whatnot but it just is easier than using a lot of plywood what about you sean if you're built a mobile uh, hold something that that i think the first cart that i built um to house my uh miter saw is a it's a two by four frame with a um or rail construction kind of like a just like a regular you know furniture table where you have the the aprons not yeah the aprons connected to the two by four legs with screws and a three-quarter inch plywood top that goes over top of it. And um, I put my miter saw in there, mortiser, both sanders, my entire body, including that stuff on top of it, standing on it. I mean, it's very sturdy. I wouldn't have any issues putting a 400-pound uh, planer. I would make sure to get casters that are going to be good to go with 400 pounds. Yeah. Um, because you're also going to have to to consider the material that you're running through the planer. You know, if you're running some eight quarter board that's eight foot long, you know, you got to you got to take that into consideration as well. But yeah, two by four milled uh, pine or Douglas fir. Absolutely. It's going to be strong enough. Yep. That with some heavy duty casters. If you're going to go that route, which you probably are, I wouldn't have any issues doing that. Yeah. yeah. The way the way I built my stand for the drum sander was I built a two by four platform mm -hmm. that, you know, up on top. And then I built the sides were two by four frame and panel. And then the bottom was two by four bottom. So it kind of looked like it was all plywood, but it wasn't. Mm -hmm. So I'm transferring all the weight from the top through the sides to the bottom. Mm -hmm. And I was using casters. You know, the, the casters I bought were from Home Depot and they're like 250 pounds a piece. And they're only like $8. I use those casters all over the place. I never had an issue. The planer you're, you're talking about, Joel, I understand is more weight than probably my, my drum sander was, but not a whole hell of a lot more. And I never had an issue with it. And you could still build something strictly out of plywood as long as you consider how the weight is being transferred mm -hmm. to the wheels. Yeah, That's the biggest consideration in all this is how the weight is transferred from the top all the way down to the floor. So I wouldn't put a top and biscuit it into the sides or domino it into the sides. It's just not going to work right. right. You can do that and build it, but then you're going to have to put a separate top on it. So the weight of the top is being transferred through the sides and then to the bottom. And then you have to do the same thing at the bottom. Now I understand what you were asking, Guy, and, and I did it exactly like that. So the, the, the top is sitting on 
the sides of yeah. of the carcass, so it's transferring the weight there. Sorry, I yeah. I guess I couldn't in- <laughs> visualize what you were. And saying. you call yourself an, an engineer. engineer? Yeah. Mm-hmm. See, see, <sighs> kids <laughs> these days, damn millennials. If there wasn't a SolidWorks model, I I don't know what you're talking about. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> have, you, have you guys built any other than just one of these, or have you built like multiples? Or I've built one, and the other carts that I've built since then were just plywood sides uh, with casters on the bottom, with the plywood going across the top, with the stretcher on the inside, just like basic cabinetry construction. Yeah. Uh, that's what I did for my CNC, uh, and that's what I did for my lathe stand. I am going to be replacing my. I have that that steel base that came with the drum sander, mm-hmm. and those things are just a waste of space. Yep, because they angle out, they 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 that, and they they increase the footprint. Yeah, so I'm going to be replacing that and building some sort of cabinet with drawers in it. You know, just to get some space back for that, because you can only put a few things of sandpaper, and that's it, and it's just a waste of space. So, and then I also contemplated. Well, this is diving into something completely different, but yep, that's all that I've built. So who's got the next question? It would be I me. Do. Nope. Sean? Sean. Yep. That would be me. All right, Sean. I'm sorry. So, no, okay. That's fine. I'm just keeping you straight. You know, on this, since this is our last podcast of the year, I wanted to take a, a lighthearted question here and, and talk about, you know, how we all, quote unquote, hooked up and what led to the collaboration on the podcast from Michael. If you explained it in any of your previous episodes, I must have missed it. I'd love to know how the three of you hooked up and what led to the collaboration on the podcast. You know, guys follow everybody on YouTube, like from the very beginning. Uh, he's the first, probably the first subscriber that I had. You know, he he was a big figure in in following and supporting small woodworker YouTubers. Yeah. And that's how I, I guess I met Guy, uh, was through that commenting on his videos, him commenting on my videos a long, long time ago. And um, I learned a lot from his, his YouTube channel. So, you know, seeing him subscribe and comment on my videos when I had five subscribers, 10 subscribers was, was pretty awesome. And so that led to us talking. We met up at a, what was that? It was woodworking in America. Yes. And then I, yep. A couple of three, three, four years. The last time it was, I guess, a thing. And then, uh, after that, I went to his, uh, his house for, for a day, you know, children in his uh, shop, talked, uh, talk shop. And then we, I believe what we met on just by commenting on each other's Instagram, I believe that to be the case, right? Instagram, but then also I found your YouTube channel once I found your Instagram, and then I started uh, watching your stuff and, and commenting on your stuff as well. Okay. Um, as far as the uh, what led to the collaboration on the podcast, well, you know what? I'm going to let you two talk about how you all, how you found each other, and, and then we'll talk about how we started the podcast. I, I mean, I, I started connecting with Guy because, great, Guy's going to get this huge inflated head right now. Um, but you were one of the few guys that even from the very beginning and still till now that you weren't doing the things that were trendy at the time. You were doing things that I thought were challenging and where I wanted to see my woodworking go. Yes. Um, Good point. I wanted to go in that direction of not necessarily because some something was easy or because it was trendy, but more so because it was a challenge and it was something different. That's what I cared about more when it came to my woodworking. And one of the reasons why I started following your YouTube channel. And funny enough, you actually like replied to comments. And I remember uh, sending you emails through your website and you actually replied back and had pretty detailed answers to the questions that I gave you. 
And I said, hey, that's pretty cool. I'm kind of surprised that this guy has, you know, the time in the day to, you know, give me a little bit of attention. From that, I started uh, posting on Instagram. And I think I, I contacted you and said, hey, you know, I'm thinking about putting up a YouTube video. And you basically said, do it. You should do it. And so I did it. And do it, um, do it. Do it. And you were again, it was kind of like, oh, my goodness. He commented on something I posted. It was terrible. But you were fully supportive of, hey, you should, you know, show the hard stuff. You should show the things and the processes and not just do the things that are kind of trendy. Again, nothing that not that there's anything wrong with that. It's just not what I was into. And you were you were fully supportive of the fact that like, hey, show the hard stuff, show the stuff that's a little bit more detailed and more in depth not just the things that are easy or trendy. And that's kind of how it happened. Guy, you can talk about how you got started and maybe how the, the whole collaboration on the podcast happened. I remember we, you first started to comment on my videos and I thought it was spam. Really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I didn't know how to pronounce your name mm -hmm. back then. Yeah. Yep. I thought, here's some guy from, you know, some foreign country is probably just <laughs> spamming me or doing something. And then after a couple a couple comments, I'm like, no, I'm wrong. I, 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 so I started, I try to comment. I try to reply on every comment on the YouTube videos. It's tough. It is. And I wish that I could stick to the emails still because I get between Instagram, the YouTube, and emails, I get, you know, 20 pieces of something a day that I have to answer to. Yeah. And I just, I'm not as good at it as I used to be. So if anybody out there is listening saying, like, I never answered my email, that's why I didn't answer your email. Because I just get so many of them now. It's, it's just hard for me. But that's how I met Hui. And I remember talking to him, you know, through email and through the, the YouTube interface uh, about all this stuff. And, uh, Sean, uh -oh. I think I started following him on YouTube first. I can't remember what video. So I was like, yeah, this guy's pretty good. And we started talking. Actually, we did a collaboration where we did a, uh, a video and then a contest where we gave a chisel cabinet away. Yeah, that's right. On uh simplecove.com, you did a, yep. a chisel cabinet build series and then gave it away. Yeah. And it was like, a the first, and probably the last <laughs> super detailed series I did. I think there was like six or seven videos and each one of them was like, you know, 45 minutes long. They were pretty, pretty detailed and pretty boring. Um, I did put them at, eventually I ended up putting them on YouTube also, but that's how Sean and I met. And then, you know, we got together at uh, woodworking in America and we, we spent the day hanging out there and that was pretty cool. Yeah. We took that finishing class by Freddie Roman. Yeah. Yeah, that's how I met Freddie. Huh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, and, and I talked to him after one of his seminars. I took like two two classes from him. And the second one afterwards, I went up and started talking to him, and we hit it off. And that's where I met Freddie. I met you first in person at the Atlanta Woodworking Show. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, I didn't even know you were going to be there. You were there with uh, Dave from Rocket City and... Um, Ashley from... I can't remember her handle... It's, she hasn't posted anything in a long time. Yeah, she's been really busy with her babies. Um, yeah, but she's she's a she's a very nice nice young lady. She actually came here to the shop once. 
That's right. Yeah. She was here for Comic-Con. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Handmade and with Mar- Ashley. That's it. Sorry. Yeah. Handmade with Ashley. Ashley Grennan. And she she was here for uh, Comic-Con, which is hosted here in Indy. Mm-hmm. And uh, she stopped by the shop for a couple hours. I got to meet her. She's a very, very nice young lady. I really like her. Yep. But I did spend some time talking to you at the in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I just followed you guys on Instagram. And when we were, I was thinking about doing a second podcast, you know, here, who I was thinking about who I wanted to talk to on this podcast. It's like, okay, I want to have guys that do the more challenging stuff, like we said, not just, I'm going to make a shaker table. I'm going to make a wall cabinet. I'm going to make this silly thing. And I'm going to make this simple thing and that simple thing. Yeah. You know, Sean doesn't do that. And we doesn't do that. And that's how the, the podcast started. And, and, and it was your idea. Yeah. Then the reason for this format is just, you know, I listened to, to, I, at one time I had listened to a lot. I don't have time to listen to many podcasts anymore. The format just became because I got sick of listening to woodworking podcasts where there was 60 minutes of conversation, 10 minutes of woodworking, 40 minutes of what my dog is doing (laughs) and, you know, just silly stuff. And I'm not, I'm not disparaging anybody. And I, and that lighthearted stuff is fun sometimes, but if I'm going to commit to an hour of my day to listen to something, I want to try to get something out of it. And I thought that there was, that was missing. Yeah. in our community. So that's why I said, no, let's do a s- straightforward 60 minutes, just answering questions, all woodworking, no fluff. Yep. And that's the number one comment that I get about this podcast from people that talk to me about it is they love that it's woodworking. Some of the questions are basic. Some of the questions are repeated, but it's woodworking. It's not how to get 90 million followers on Instagram with these three easy steps and six easy payments. It's woodworking. Yeah. That's how this all started. Yeah. <laughs> yep, guy texted Hui and I and asked if we'd be interested in a podcast. And two years later, it's hard to at two years. Has it really been that it. long? Yeah, and this is episode number sixty, and we do it every other week. So sixty-two, sixty-two, yeah, sixty-two, yeah. Well, whatever episode it is, it's yeah. been a it's been a long time, yeah. and I don't think we've missed a week. Nope, no, we haven't. Nope, nope. that's pretty impressive. <laughs> yeah, I've never not or I've never committed to something for two years and not follow through this is a time dedicated for i really care a lot about this podcast you know mm-hmm. um yeah. because because uh, i love interacting with the people you know the questions make make the podcast they really do and i learn yeah. a lot from it too i really do this is uh something we can end this question on is you know a call for your comments on our next instagram post on the woodshop life instagram post give us feedback about what you guys think about the show yeah you know, love it. positive and negative yeah, we're uh, no, no, no negative, no negative. Well, just, just don't let, just don't let guy see it. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't go to that account anyway, so don't worry about it. <laughs> but no, you know, give us some feedback on on the podcast, and also if you enjoy it, leave feedback. That's why we ask that so we can help grow it. Yeah, so that we can continue to bring podcast episodes every other week. But yeah, hopefully you guys like that a, a non woodworking question. But I thought I would take an easy one that we could all talk about mm-hmm. to give you a little background on the podcast and how we met. The next one is off to um, Hui. What do you got for us? This is from Timberworks in New York. He says, hey, I have a question. I seem to be unintentionally creating a spring joint when I want to run, when I run work pieces through my table saw. 
It's every piece, and it's nearly every time. It's exaggerated on longer pieces. This is great for pieces that I'm actually gluing together, but for others, it's a big pain to deal with. I'm not sure what it could be. I'm leaning towards it's, it being my fence or having a fence issue. I have a grizzly table saw with a standard fence. Any thoughts? Timberworks? I think it is your fence. Or the way the fence, I should say more so the way the fence is either aligned with the blade or possibly the phenolic or um, I guess it's like a UHMW coating that's, uh, that's on your grizzly table saw. I had a grizzly table saw. It was a good one. It was a great table saw, but the fence was a little bit out of alignment. In other words, it was out of parallel with the uh, miter gauge and the miter gauge was out of parallel with the blade. So do yourself a favor and check that first and see how that is. If it's kicked out too much, you might be aligning with the beginning part of your fence. And what's happening is it essentially is just following um, the beginning part of the fence, and then as it's uh, as it's running along the fence uh, on the back of the cut, it's just kind of bowing and cutting cutting a slight bow in your joint. The other possibility is that the phenolic or the UHMW might have a little bow in it, and I know this because my grizzly table saw actually had that issue, and I had to replace the UHMW. Uh, piece with another piece that I just bought on Amazon or whatnot. I did see a discrepancy in the center of the fence versus the uh, outside edges of the fence. Anyway, oh, sorry, <laughs> it's all right. Anyway, uh, I did fix it by just buying a new piece of UHMW and uh, and attached it back onto the um, grizzly table saw fence have you guys had any issues with that and how did you alleviate maybe a discrepancy with uh, the fence or do you think it might be something other than the fence my question is to to timberworks have you checked the board before you ran it through the table saw to see if you're having these issues before i mean you know oftentimes when i'm let's say edge gluing two, three, four boards together to make a tabletop. I mean, I don't check it as soon as I joint the edge. And if I run it through the table saw, is are you having the issues straight out of the joiner? Or are they fine out of the joiner and you're getting it only at the table saw? I mean, every time that I run a piece through the table saw and I want to edge glue the pieces, 99% of the time, I've got just a slight spring joint and just a slight. And if you know, I clamp it together with minimal pressure and it goes away, cool, I'm happy. But if it's bad enough, I'll just mark them the two boards, fold them up like a book, run them through the joiner at the same time mm-hmm. and they're good to go. Um, but my question is, are you, are they good straight off the joiner, but the table saw is causing this? Yeah. So in other words, if, if, if off the joiner, there's any, yeah, absolutely. If there's any discrepancies off of the joiner, you're going to just magnify that on the table saw or just uh, not magnify it. It's just going to be basically parallel. Telegraph. Yeah. Telegraph through. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, just one one final thing. I, I guess I, I never paid that close of a, a attention to it myself. If it's like that, when I go to glue them up, I've, I've never sat there and, and looked at it and said, hmm, is it the table saw or is it the joiner? I just fix it and then glue them up. But I would be curious to know if it's if it's the joiner that's doing that or if it's the table saw that's doing that. Very possibly the joiner. And it might be uh, if, if every board is coming off of the joiner going to the table saw, <laughs> then everybody yeah. board is going to have that issue, right? How about you, guy? What, what what would you diagnose as the issue? Would you go a different direction? It could be either the joiner or the table saw. I mean, you, you have to figure it out. So, 
if you take it over to the table saw, it really depends on how long the board is too. And it depends on what kind of joiner you have and the length of the beds. Because if you've got a short bed joiner, you know, like, sure. a, like, like my machine, that, that, that combo machine, the bed's only 55 inches. Mm-hmm. And the last joiner I had before that, which was an eight inch grizzly, it had 70, 76 or 77 inches. Yep. So if you've got, uh, a board that's, you know, on, like on my joint, it's got 55 inch, but isn't that 55 inch, Sean? I think so. Yeah. It's somewhere around there, give or take. So 55 inch, you take a six foot or seven foot board, you put it on there and it's got a bow in it. I don't care how many times you run over that joiner, it, that it's going to follow it because the beds aren't long enough. Right. That's not an issue with the joiner. That's an issue with the joiner in a different way than you might think. It's nothing you can just like outright fix. Right. And that's one of the things I would look at too is, is, is the joiner. And then, but then also look at the table saw fence. Yeah. If the fence is, has a dip in it mm-hmm. or more importantly, if it's towed out on the outside, yeah. which a lot of people do. I know mine is like three to five thousandths of an inch kicked out kicked out past the blade. Yeah. Yeah. Mine too. Yeah. Mine too. So depending on how you push that board through, it will move a little bit. Yep. You have to keep you, when you push the board through, if you've got that kick out, that toe out between the blade and the fence, and that's just to help prevent kickback. That's just an old school way of preventing kickback. So you don't pinch the back of the blade against the fence. When you push that board through, it's important to keep the board against the fence at the front of the blade. Right. Mm-hmm. So if you're doing it towards, you know, the, you're getting pushing through the end, it's like, oh my gosh, look at that big gap. And then you start pushing it over that way to compensate for that gap. You're not going to get a straight cut anymore. Yep. You got to keep it parallel with the blade. Yep. 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 And if your, your, your fence is towed out, like I said, and you try to compensate for that, you're going to get a, you're going to get a dip and you're going to get a bow. Yeah. Well, all right. Well, uh, Timberworks, I, I hope that helps. Uh, we are going to go back to Guy. All right. This is from Jarmo from Germany. Oh, Jarmo. He's a repeat uh, customer. Yes. And it says, hey, guys, thanks for pouring your wisdom out into the world of woodworking. Uh, not, not talking about me. <laughs> today, I, today, I need your help. I am planning to build a small corner table. The top has the shape of a quarter circle, about a 16-inch radius. To spice up the design and challenge my woodworking skills, I want to put a drawer into the bowed apron. How do I go about cutting a precise and smooth opening for the drawer into this curved piece of wood? Hmm. On a flat piece, I'll probably use a router template to clean up the rough cuts, but I don't see how I can do this on a curved piece. Any ideas? The apron will be a bent lamination about two and a half to three inches high with the opening something like one and three quarters by eight inches. So there's a couple different ways to do that, to do this. Cutting the opening, I'm going to give one way of doing it. I'm going to give the hard, complicated way. Mm -hmm. Okay. And the hard, complicated way is to just cut it with 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 a saw. Take a jigsaw and just cut it. Mm-hmm. That's all you got to do, and just be precise with your jigsaw. There you go. There you go. I, I know that sounds really basic and easy, and believe me, it's not easy. <laughs> no, no. But that is a simple way to do it. 
you just have to be very good with your jigsaw. Your jigsaw has to be tuned properly and you've got to, you know, do a lot of cleanup afterwards. Yeah. So I've got a couple other ways you can do it too, but right now I'm going to flip it over to Wee to see if he has any. I've never done this before, but I'm going to put it out there. And if I'm wrong, Guy, you probably know better than anybody else whether or not I'm wrong. And oh, I don't know about that. But that's a diss and a half. <laughs> <laughs> I pass a lot of ideas around Guy anyway. So my <laughs> thought would be if you're, you know, doing, you've got this like bent lamination or whatnot. Listen. Could you cut out the strip? So in other words, you've got, let's say for the opening in the apron, uh, an inch on the top and an inch on the bottom. So you oversize the bent lamination in, in width and you cut out basically what would be on the table saw. You could even do it on the bandsaw if you wanted to. The thickness of the top and the bottom of the clearance for the drawer. And then create a jig or something to cross cut the opening. And so then you then glue back the top, bottom, and I guess sides of the opening. Am I making sense there? Yes. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that would uh, come out super clean. Then you'd put a final veneer on the top of it. You wouldn't see those seams. Yes, exactly. Exactly. That's exactly what I was thinking about. And then you just, you know, you just cut out that opening with a flush trim bit or whatnot. I don't know if that would work, but that's maybe the direction I would go in. If, if I were to tackle this, and I'm sure there are better ways, <clears throat> I would build the apron, get it to its final size, and then I would take a piece of quarter inch bendy ply or you could probably get away with it uh being just quarter inch mdf and i would um do what we said i would make it the exact size of the opening in there by cutting the strips gluing it together to have an opening that has nice crisp corners and then what i would do was would use some double-sided tape stick it to the front of the apron trace it out rough cut with the drill bits in the corner jigsaw to remove the waste and take it over to the router table and use a flush trim bit, flipping it upside down. You can do bottom bearing and run it along the inside, You referencing that quarter inch piece of ply or MDF that is the exact opening you want. That's going to leave you rounded corners, so then you can, um, you can then chisel away the waste yeah. and get where you need to be for that exact opening. And I would make that MDF template based off of... Yeah, just the exact size that you need. And then it'll stick right on the bent apron, just fine with some double-sided tape. That's one way to do it. Here's another way to do it. And this is the way I would probably do it myself. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't do a bent lamination. Okay. I would brick it. Bricking, yeah. I was thinking bricking. I would brick it. And if you don't know what bricking is, it's taking strips of wood and cutting a curve in them and basically, like a like a brick wall, you put one down, you put another one down, then you put one over half of that, and the other over the half of that one, and you just kind of like build a brick wall. Mm-hmm. And you go around, and it's not a bent lamination, but it's solid wood going all the way around. Mm-hmm. And you could build that opening into the bricking. Yeah, good idea. And then all you've got to do is put your you know your last bit over the top, which is your which is your veneer uh, veneer. And then it's very easy to cut out after that with a pattern bit on a, like a trim router you could use mm-hmm. and just go right up against there and just zip, 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 you're done. So what do you do then? If you build it with brick layers and then what, you cut the curve into it? Yeah. yeah. Use a template. Yeah. 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 
Um, so basically, what you're, you're the 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 bricks are semi-curved to begin with, or you can do it all segmented mm-hmm. where there's no curve in it and you're just cutting, you know, the, the ends of it. But you can kind of curve it a little bit. It makes it a little bit easier. I've done it a couple times. I've done it twice. And then you just, you just build it up and then you can just cut it with the bandsaw on a template. So are you so, putting a final veneer over the front of it? Yeah. Because mm-hmm. you would see this, the, the, you would cut into different layers. Yeah, so you're you're building, but I said you'd build the opening into the brick pattern. Yeah, and you could even use a spacer if you want as you're building it, so that you get it exactly yeah. right. Yeah. So if you're going to do that, it means you're going to rough cut it with the bandsaw. How do you get a smooth curve off of hand cut curve like that? What do you mean a hand cut curve? So if you say you say you have a a four inch piece, or I'm sorry, a two inch tall piece that's bricked, you're going to trace a curve on it and cut it at the bandsaw, right? Unless I'm thinking about this wrong. No, what you're going to do is you're going to take that bricked piece that's going to have, you know, like corners on it and stuff because the pieces aren't necessarily curved. You're going to be straight, but they're going to be joined. And then you put it on a piece of, you know, MDF or whatever, and you put a hole in the other end of it, just like a circle jig. And then you cut the curve on the bandsaw. And then you flush trim it up to the template. And then you build up another layer and flush. Well, you, 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 know, you don't even have to do that. You just, you just, you just stack the bricks up. Mm-hmm. You glue them together. You stack the bricks up. You glue them together. You let it dry. Mm-hmm. Attach it to a, a piece of wood mm-hmm. that's got a hole on the other end, like a circle cutting jig. Cut it on your bandsaw. Oh yeah. Okay. So I see what you're saying. Yep. Mm-hmm. Why would you choose that method over building a bending form and doing a bent lamination? Because it's a lot. Just it's a lot easier to do than try to cut that that hole precisely in a curved piece of wood. I would find it easier. Huh. Plus it's something I don't get to do that often. I do a lot of bent laminations. I don't do a lot of bricking. So I would I would just welcome the chance to try it again. Yeah. And I, I think it would solve the problem. The times I've done bricking before, I've never put a drawer in the middle of it. But but you wouldn't flush trim it like uh, based off of the template to get it perfect? You would... No, you'd use a circle cutting type. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I guess, really? yeah, I guess that would be... That'd be perfect enough yeah for sure yeah it'd be fine it'd be fine and then he would put a piece of veneer on the front of it and but then you'd have the the task of making the drawer front which should be you've got enough templates at this point you can make a drawer front that's only well see that's 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 the beauty with a with a bricked pattern there's or a bricked front there's no spring back if you want it to be uh you know he's saying a 16 inch radius exactly if you want a 16 inch radius front and a 16 inch radius drawer should be easy to do. So I'm do I'm doing something similar to it's not bricking. I guess technically bricking would be multiple layers stacked on top of each other. In my case, with the round table that I'm building, it's just one one layer that's segmented into pieces. I don't know about uh, inch and one point four inches thick. Um, but but it's it's a very similar sort of thing. I guess it's not bricking technically, but segmented. Yeah, there's a lot of different ways to do this, Jermo. Yeah, but if you're stuck on the bent lamination, like, like I said, I would, I would just cut the damn thing out with the jigsaw myself. Yeah. If you're going to do bent lamination, it's the easiest way. It's the less least elegant way to do it, and you have to be really precise. But that would be my suggestion. That would be tough to cut it out with jigsaw and not leave and have to clean up the edges and make it crisp. And- I think you'd have to clean up the edges. <laughs> I think you'd have to clean up the edges. 
Well, that's what I'm saying. Well, that's that's what I said. You'd have to clean the edges up, and it would it would be it would be very hard to keep that the opening parallel from top to at least yeah. for me. Yep. And that's why if you cut it open, I would just put some strips of MDF on there and use it as a uh, reference point for a flush trim bit and and go to yeah. town. But anyway, hope well, that helps. Cool. Sean, you've got the next question. All right, this is from Garage Dog Woodworks. Is it okay to make and sell a piece of furniture using someone else's plans? For example, say I buy project plans from the Wood Whisperer Guild. Am I able to build and sell it? Or should I ask for permission from the designer of the plans first? This is a touchy subject, but I'm going to preface my answer with you should always, absolutely, even if you're going to modify the plans, if it originated from a set of plans, I would, unless it's completely different, this is just my opinion, by the way, Guy and we may not share the same feelings on the matter, but I would always ask for permission first. Mark has a an article on his his website that's from 2014, so his opinion may have changed on the on this topic. Um, that says, "Go ahead, sell sell the items that you build for my plans." But uh, he he says if you if you're just selling them one off, you know, friends and family, cool. But if you're getting to a point to where you're bulk selling these items, all he asks for is that you give give him some sort of credit in, in your listing. Now, this is from 2014. I would still highly recommend that you ask Mark, but I'm just going based off of this old article that I read on his website. Now, another article that I read, and, and I will link to both of these in the show notes, is from Fine Woodworking. Someone asked, is it okay to sell furniture based on Fine Woodworking articles? And their 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 answer to this was, you know, legally, he probably, the person asked, didn't have to ask because they were going to make changes to the design and it would make a hard, it would be a hard case to sell in court. But ethically, you know, that's, you should always ask for permission. And they, and the fine woodworking reached out and asked the creator of the plans for the magazine. And, you know, and the person said, you know, I have no problem with them using the design to sell uh, now, but if you were doing it in large quantities, they would probably feel different about that. So again, this is a touchy subject, but there's no worse feeling. Like I sell plans. I don't, you know, I have a few that I sell. Am I going to get upset if I see someone selling the built furniture from that? It would feel awkward, I guess, but I, I wouldn't get angry because, you know, that's kind of what, what I expected when I sell the plans. You know, I, it is what it is at the end of the day. Um, but I would always recommend reaching out and, and asking these folks that put these plans together, their feeling on the matter and respect their answers. If they say, I would rather that you not do that, highly recommend you know, respecting their, their opinion on the matter and not doing it if they say no. But, you know, most of the time I would imagine if you reached out to the folks that are selling these plans, they would probably say it's okay. And, you know, a long time ago, I was, I reached out to a, this company that I was considering purchasing plans from for a rocking chair, I think. And I was like, is it, can I sell these if I were to, to make some, could I sell them for profit? You know, because they would feel weird just taking plans and selling. And the person said, absolutely. That's why I put these plans out there. So you're going to get different answers from from these folks. But, you know, it's always the right thing to reach out and ask them. And if they say no, respect that and make your own plans for something that's different. Don't copy it. But in my opinion, you should always reach out and ask. And the same goes for Mark, even though that his article says he doesn't care. That's a different story with his guild builds. And I would highly recommend reaching out and talking to Mark and getting his opinion. And that's for anybody. We, uh, 
have you purchased any plans, made any furniture and sold these items? And did you work with the, uh, the plan owners to ask them for permission or have you even done any of this? So I did a visual copy and obviously it's not a one-to-one copy of a chair, the Medina chair by Michael Culkin, in Austin, Texas. And I contacted him and asked him if whether or not I could make a visual replica. In other words, I did not have plans. All I had was a picture and I knew what the measurements were and I knew how the chair fit to me. Uh, so I basically designed through visual inspection my own chair, but it was almost, it looks almost exactly like his, right? There are small things obviously that aren't the same, but I asked him per- permission if for a one-off commission and gave him my word. I would not make plans of it. I would not make it a production. It was a one-time commission. And he said, sure, sounds good. Just give me credit. Just say that it was originally my design. And I said, no problem. So that's what I did. Uh, I would highly recommend that if you are thinking of making furniture that is either going to be sold, that you ask for permission. Tell the original designer your intentions. I think that's a good thing to do. Guy, how about you? I know you've made videos of things from woodworking plans or from original design, right? Woodworking. Yeah. Yeah, but I got permission from them first. Right, right. Mm -hmm. And everything was endorsed by them. Right. In response to this question, I mean, I, I agree with everything both you guys said. Ask for permission. Usually the rule of thumb when I if if I'm... There's different situations for everything and everything has to be taken in context. So I've got my brother comes to me and says, hey, I saw that thing you built from the plans that you got from Mark. Can you make me one? I'll pay you for it. Yeah, I don't think I'm asking anybody permission to do that. Right. It's my brother. I'm selling it as a one off. It's not a big deal. And I don't care whose plans they are, right. even if it was fine woodworking's plans. I wouldn't ask them for permission. I can see that. It's a totally different thing to take Mark's plans or a plan from Fine Woodworking or Wood Magazine or Pop Woodworking or one of your plans, Sean, or one of your plans, We, and make the piece, take some professional photos of it, put it up on a website and say, hey, I've got these for sale. They're whatever each, and they're available in cherry, walnut, and maple. Email me for details. That's scummy. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's wrong. Yeah. That is not a good, that's, you know, that's obviously copyright infringement. If you had a copyright, even if it isn't, it's still your intellectual property. Mm -hmm. And I think most, most courts would see it that way too. Right. Um, Unless there's some drastic design changes. I mean, it is what it is. It's, it's obviously, it's a copy of it. You know, for example, I only have really one set of plans out there, which is for my green and green clock. If I came across somebody that was manufacturing these and they looked exactly like my clock, I'd be pretty pissed. Absolutely. But if somebody said to me, hey, guy, I'm going to build one of these clocks for my dad because he really likes it. I'm like, okay, <laughs> that's fine. Mm-hmm. I don't care. That's what the plans are for. Mm-hmm. But they're not for manufacturing. They're for, you know, I said a one-off. It's, it doesn't matter. Yeah. It, it's a weird feeling selling plans going to Etsy and seeing someone that has 700 sales and they're all of your plans without them even asking for your permission. Right. It's just a yeah. weird, it's, it's a bad feeling. 
No, you're not. Uh, that, would, that would be that wouldn't give me a bad feeling. That would really piss me off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which would cause you to feel bad. Cause me to feel angry. Yeah, I mean, just respect the people that put the time in on these plans. You don't know their intentions behind making the plans. If it was, yeah, sure, make this to sell, or just sure, make this for your own home and maybe a family member. Just do the right thing and ask. Yeah. It doesn't hurt to ask. And if they say no, respect that. The, the, the easiest way to do it, and you know, when you're ever, fr- and I hear I'm going to wax philosophically here. So whenever I'm I'm confronted with something, it's, it's kind of like a moral dilemma. I always put myself in the other person's shoes. Sure. How would I feel if this is done to me? Mm-hmm. And that typically will answer my question. So, if I put out plans and somebody copied them and I saw them, you know, selling the exact same thing on their website or on Etsy or on Pinterest, I'd be pissed. But if you came to me and asked me first, yeah, okay, you can do it. But, you know, if you want to use the exact plans for it, that's fine. Shoot me a couple hundred bucks and then I'm good or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So um, license it to them. You can yeah. do that too. But I guess what I'm saying is always put yourself in the other person's shoes and, and how you would feel if it happened to you. Right. Right. So it's, it's kind of relates to that, but I had a person that makes woodworking YouTube videos reach out to me and ask if they could get my permission to share some cabinetry photos from my website in their videos, which I thought was really awesome because, you know, I've got several thousand photos on my site from different submissions from you know, the thousands of members on the site. And I replied and said, let me know the exact images that you're wanting to use because I don't own these images myself. Mm. I'm going to get their consent so that you give them credit, not me because yeah, I own the site, but they're not my photos. I want to make sure that the proper credit gets applied to your, to your video. And, you know, it's just the right thing to do. In my opinion, you know, that carries down to buying plans with the intent of batching stuff out. So there you go. There you go. Damn, <laughs> is that a new ringtone? <laughs> nah, it's it's a long story. Oh, I, I I just shut it off. So, well, that's a pretty cool song anyway. But anyways, what? So, who's got the next question? Is it you? We? I think it's me. Yeah, I think I got the last question, and this is from Jacob. He asks, "I bought some ebony and cocobolo turning blanks for a really low price, with the intention of using them for handles on small boxes." I'm assuming the wood has not been dried because it's still coated in wax. I've never really messed with green wood, and I know it likes to warp and move as it dries. That said, with the pulls being a few inches long and maybe five-eighths of an inch thick, would I have a cause for concern, or should I wait a couple of years for it to completely dry? So, I am not an expert wood turner, but uh, my friend David is. And I'm um, really good friends with him. And I, I, I brought this question up to him. And um, short answer, you don't need to be that concerned about it. And the reason is because you're basically doing a spindle turning and you're not doing face grain. In other words, you're not making a big, you know, six inch thick bowl or six inch deep bowl that's 12 inches in diameter. That's basically a green log that you know was recently cut. That, that's not what you're dealing with. You're dealing with a fairly small spindle. And while there will be a little bit of wood movement, it's nothing that 
you need to be overly concerned about because by the time you get that wood down to five eighths of an inch thick, the moisture is just going to come off of it like so fast. It's not really that big of a deal. Now, if you're dealing with a big bowl, like I said, you should go ahead and just rough turn it. And, you know, that's a whole nother story and let it dry and, you know, put in a paper bag with wood shavings and all that stuff. But in this case, no, not at all. Go ahead and turn it as a precautionary. If you're really worried about it, maybe rough turn it to seven eighths of an inch thick um, so that it's a you know nice uh, cylinder. You know, let it set dry. Sure, maybe let it dry in your shop for like a month as you're building the uh, boxes and whatnot, and then turn it afterwards. But no, for something like that, for a spindle turning that that that's that small, you know, I don't think you have a cause for concern there. Just go ahead and turn it. I don't know if uh, either of you guys. Well, no, I think you guys have turned small, uh, small poles and whatnot, right? No, no, Sean. Um, I have. I've turned a little bit, and I plan on actually turning some pins for, uh, for gifts. And um, now pins are different. I think they're because the wall on that is so thin that if they are wet. And because the walls are so thin that it could well, be a cause for concern. Yeah. It, yeah, for sure. I was, I wasn't completely finished. I was going to say, but sorry. I'm so back sorry. to the, well, that's fine. Back to the wax. I often wonder this question myself and, you know, I was wondering, are they dried, but they put wax on them because they're shipping them to, you know, to all over the world and they want to keep the moisture out again. I could be completely wrong. I don't turn, so I'm not a turner. So I don't know the answer to that either. Dang it. Uh, I should ask David. <laughs> but I don't know the answer to that. Um, I, I think there are instances where it is actually dried wood, but they just wax it because it's coming from like South America or some other really like humid, humid places where the differences in humidity, even in a warehouse, are so greatly different than maybe what might be in the continental U.S. Yeah, and maybe, I, and I'm talking about the small small blanks like for pens and um pools and not the big bowl blanks yeah but yeah i, I don't know I'm, i don't have i don't have any uh experience with with this I always whatever i turned you know what i did i did turn one bowl that a small bowl that i got one of the wax blanks from mm-hmm. and um yeah and it worked because i didn't you know it was the first time or second time i turned a bowl and uh i didn't rough turn it let it set and come back i just turned it all the way and it was it wasn't a bowl anymore after about a couple of weeks. <laughs> it's like a Salvador Dali painting. Yeah. I, I, um, I, I'm not, as you guys know, I'm not a big turner. And the only thing I've ever really turned is spindles. Mm-hmm. I've never really tried to turn my own poles. Mm-hmm. It's just something, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, Jacob, but it's just something I'm not interested in doing. Mm-hmm. I'll buy poles. Yeah. I just don't do it. As far as working with wood like this, the only time I've ever bought wood that was coated in wax was I I needed some ebony now. Yeah. And I went to Woodcraft and bought, you know, a small chunk of of ebony for, I think, 90 or (laughs) $95,000. But that was the only time. And it was was in wax. I cleared the wax off of it. Ebony is pretty hard and and brittle. It It didn't move on me. Yeah. I didn't have any problem with it. So you did it. It was your green, green clock. Is that right? No, it was for something else. 
Yeah. I got it for. I've been uh, using ebony for a long time for inlay. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I've used I've used those ebony blank I don't know if you call them blanks, but they're ebony blank. Yeah, they're ebony blanks that you get from Woodcraft and um they're expensive. They're expensive, my goodness. But I just cleared off the wax and worked with it and I too did not have any movement issues after I cleared off the wax and I didn't know I didn't know that was green wood underneath the wax. So that's that's new to me. Well, see, and that's what I'm wondering, too, because these were not that thick. I mean, it was like maybe one inch by one inch pieces. Well, I'm wondering what, he's, what, what Jacob is talking about. I'm, I'm not. Well, it does say I have any Coca Cola. It mm-hmm. doesn't say how really big the blanks are. Yeah. So I would assume it's something along the lines of like a pen blank, which what? Yeah, maybe- puts, I'm assuming yeah. the wood has not been dried, still colored in wax. I don't know. I just have no idea yeah. of when you buy that stuff, if it's you know wet when they coat it in wax or they dry it first and then coat it in wax yeah. to prevent it from capturing more moisture when it's coming across on a slow boat from wherever. Right. I don't know. Here- Here's what Rockler says on that. Uh, that's what I want to talk to you about, blah, blah, blah. Now, if you purchased one that's covered with wax like this one here, chances are it's green and or unseasoned wood, which is great okay. because I mean, it'll turn like butter. Okay. Important to keep the wax on the blank to avoid cracking. So there you go. That's the but, answer. Thank you. Thank you for looking it up, Sean. Thank hey, you. we're not Turner, so I figured we better- uh, We better get this right. <laughs> do some, quick, uh, some quick binging. Yeah. Found the answer. Well, uh, Jacob, I hope that helps, and uh, I, I I say go for it. I mean, plus you also yeah. for a relatively low low price. I think it's it's probably worth it's worth the risk to go ahead and turn it. But I don't think I really honestly don't think that small of a spindle that you're dealing yeah. with is going to be that big of a diff- uh, big of an issue. If it is, then just consider it practice and and yeah. wait. <laughs> <laughs> Well, all right. I think that is our last question. And uh, let's go to Sean. Sean, what do you got going on in the shop, man? All right. Well, I've only here recently the past couple of days had time to be out in the shop and I'm continuing the walnut curved front, bow front uh, cabinet build. All of the sliding dovetails are, are cut and all of the parts are in their square form. Um, the last couple of days I was, I've been building this huge MDF bending form got that done and i can use it as uh, jack stands when i'm done with this one of the things that i ran into when you use a, a flush trim bit i mean it's going to give you a replica so i i had a dip in one of the pieces and that dip carried it just went all the way through yeah yeah what I, what it carried all the way through oh sorry yeah i thought yep yep it carried all the way through so i had a dip that i had to had to deal with and um i used bondo to, uh, to feel that sanded it smooth. And I mean, it's just perfect. And so today I cut the eighth inch plywood to, uh, to size, use the polyurethane glue, um, got it in the bag, let it set for three hours, pulled it out and looks good to me. Now I've got to trim up that panel and get that cut to size and then veneer it and then edge band it or vice versa, and then install some hinges and then do the same thing for the drawer front. Mm. But I, I did buy a new a new bag. I bought a two-by-two two bag, so I didn't have to... 95% of the work that I do would fit in that two-by-two two bag instead of the four-by-four. Four. Mm-hmm. And that saves a lot of space uh, on the uh, on my outfeed table, and it's just much yep. easier to deal with. 
And what I found with those two by two bags, I only use it for flat work. I don't do anything with forms because it, it's, unless it's a very small form because the height yeah. makes it hard to, you know, it's a small bag. Two by two is a pretty small bag. Yeah. Well, this one fit in there with no room to spare. Did you and get it, it was, yeah. uh, from veneer supplies? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was 20 inches wide by 18 inches long mm-hmm. and two inches at the highest um, plus three quarter for the, so two and three quarter. Um, I mean, it fitted in there and uh, I just had enough room to close it up. But a lot of the, a lot of the work that I'm going to be doing is going to be for like boxes and yeah. and stuff. And 95% of the work that I do will fit in this bag. And it's just so much easier to deal with in a four by four bag. But that that's been a, a really good purchase recently. I got some, some beautiful, I'm almost done here. I know I'm, t- <laughs> I know I'm, I'm, I'm chattering away here, but no, take your time. I got some uh, beautiful, uh, figured straight grain walnut veneer. Yeah. I saw those pictures. It's gorgeous. Yeah. I'm, I'm really happy with it. I'm going to slip match, I believe is what they call it, where you don't do a book match. You just slide them side by side. Cause I got a flitch. Um, I, all those words could be incorrect. I don't deal with the, with the veneer right. often. Whew, good. Knocking it out of the park. I know. <laughs> End of the year, I'm going. I've been saving these words. That's all I've been up to. Uh, I now have the task of of cutting the door, the edges square and flat, and that's going to be fun. Figuring out and getting some jigs set up for that. But that's what I have going on in the shop, guy. I think you got a, a cool new little gadget in, right? Yeah, yeah. My my CNC came in last week in 12 boxes and I'm putting it together. It took me, I had the, the, the fabrication department at work made me a base, a metal, a steel base for it. They did a really good job. It's perfectly flat, but of course my garage floor is not level. So I had to put in the spot that it's going to be used in and then level it to the floor. And then I had to level the, I had to put the base together and attach it, the router, the CNC base uh, stand that these guys made me. And it all had to be, you know, perfectly flat and level. And that took me quite a while to get done. But once I got that done, it started to go together pretty quick, but I ran out of time. So I'll finish it up this weekend. Nice. But uh, at work, I've been, we've been really busy. I've been building a crap ton of cabinets just basic cabinets, you know, bookcases, coat closets, credenzas. You know, we built uh, some printer stands, popcorn machine stand. I don't know what the hell that's for in a school. <laughs> popcorn? Um, <laughs> I would think popcorn. Uh, um, and just stuff like that. But, but it was a big order. We And we delivered it today. Yeah. And um, Got that petrified wood too, yeah? I, we've had that for almost a year. We finally decided, the customer finally decided we want to do it. That's that piece where it's a live edge waterfall table. Mm-hmm. And then I'm building a, a bow front cabinet that goes inside of that. Mm. And those petrified rocks go on top of that. It's going to be ugly as sin with all the pieces together. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. I'm not uh, real enthused about the the, the petrified wood. Uh, it looks interesting, though. It's going to be a very. It's very interesting how all this is going to play out. But it's it's not going to be my cup of tea. I'm sure some people will love it, but uh, you know how that goes. Yep. 
I just I just build what I'm told to build. Yep. The only real input I had on the design on that was the the bow front. Mm-hmm. They wanted just regular little you know doors and everything. I'm like, eh, no, let's get fancy with it. Yeah. Have you had to cut, or are you going to have to cut any of that petrified wood? You can't. They're rocks. Gosh, I hope not. Well, that's what I was going to ask. Yeah, they're they're rocks. I mean, they're rocks that look like wood. They weigh about eighty pounds a piece. They're big rocks. <laughs> It's the silliest thing I've ever been asked to do. You gotta do it. Maybe, maybe not the silliest thing. It's the silliest piece of furniture. Yeah, I, I yeah, it's like okay, we want you to make this. Okay, <laughs> I don't care. I, they can ask me to make anything, I'll make it. Yeah. And I've got to start saying no to some things because I'm involved sometimes in the bid process. Yeah, where they come to me with a, a picture or a plan or something that a customer has given them. The, the salesperson, they say, can you build this? My answer to everything is, yeah, just sell it. <laughs> well, it's got to be the right price. That's, that's not, that has nothing to do with me. Oh, okay. I just build the stuff. I don't sell it. I don't, I'm not responsible for profit. On, I'm not anything. I'm just a guy there. They hand me plans or they hand me a picture and they say, build it. That's all I do. That, that comes from... Um, you know, working in the, the, the construction trades for a long time in operations where it was just, hey, salespeople, just sell it. We'll figure out how to install it later. Uh, just sell it. Just sell it. <laughs> and that's, I mean, revenue is king yep. in any business. So I, that's why I was always telling them, just, just sell it. I'll, I'll build it. Can you build this? Yeah. Can you build this? Yeah. <laughs> what about you, Hui? What do you got going on? I've had quite a bit happen in the last, uh, well, I guess it's been, uh, several weeks since we talked about what we had going on in the shop. Um, I'm building a round uh, extension table. You talked about that already. Yep. Uh, I got it all veneered. <laughs> Move on. Well, I got it all veneered. Um, I uh, <laughs> went to my buddy David, who's a segmented turner, and I used his, his jig that he uses to make perfect segments for uh, segmented turnings. Uh, David from uh, Rocket City? Yep, yep. But in this it's uh you know, 32 piece segment that's 46 inches in diameter. Uh, so we, we cut that out. I got that all. Um, well, I got portions of it glued up to be able to get the whole thing glued up to the actual tabletop itself, the round tabletop. Uh, then I, uh, recently did a sign for a retired NCO, uh, air force non-commissioned officer for his, his, from his squadron. And uh, I got that done. That was actually a lot of fun to do. And uh, we're getting close to finally closing on our house. That's going to be a fun nightmare to have to move everything. But preparing for that, I guess it hasn't been as much as I thought it had been <laughs> since the last time we talked, but seemed like a lot to me. So that's all I've got going on in the shop. Let me ask one question uh, that I saw come up in our list. And it's just something small that we wouldn't take long to talk about. But they asked, what brand shellac flakes did we all buy? And I thought we could answer that real quick to kind of throw a last little answer in on the podcast. I, I mean, I myself. Oh, use, a Christmas bonus. That's right. That's right. Tis the season. Um, <laughs> what is it? What is it? BT and C Tiger Flakes, I think is what they call it. Yeah. So what flakes do you guys use? BT and C or B and C or whatever the heck it yeah, is. B- I just go. To, I just go to Woodcraft or Rockler, and that's what they have. Brooklyn Tool and Craft. That's what I use as well. So it's BT and C. Yep. BT. Okay. Yep. Well, there you go. I wanted to fit that in there real quick because I knew it wouldn't be something that we should take 
10, 15 minutes to talk about. Hey, didn't you buy some from uh, Jeff Jewett? What's the name of his company? Oh, uh, no, I didn't buy some. from there. I think it was. Uh, thought you bought some platine. Yeah, he's from. Um, he's out in California. Uh, Is it shellac finishes.net or something like that? I think so. Uh, Shellacfinishes.com. Button lack. Yeah, that's that's like a totally clear. Yeah, shellacfinishes.com. Yeah. What, what brand was it? Was that any specific brand or? No, it, he his name is VJ, and he he makes Royal Lac, Seal Lac. So those are some of his, um, I guess, canned shellac finishes. But he also f- sells flakes and yeah. shellacfinishes.com. Yep. All right. Well, I think that wraps up this show. Please remember this podcast is here to answer questions from the woodworking community, you guys. Uh, So if you have woodworking questions, please send them through the podcast contact page at woodshoplifepodcast.com or you can DM us through Instagram at woodshoplife. We would also like to thank everyone who has left us a five-star review on iTunes. It really helps us in the search rankings. And of course, we truly appreciate the support and the feedback. And you can reach me at alabamawoodworker.com. All the links to my social media are on my website. Guy, where can we find you? Guyswoodshop.com. Sean, where can we find you? Simplecove.com, where you can share all of your projects and at Simplecove on social media. All right. Great. Thanks for listening. And uh, we'll see you in a couple of weeks. All right. Have a good uh, holidays. Two days to Christmas. Yeah. Right. It's the 23rd. That'll be over. Thank you for this. Have a good one. Yeah. All right. See you. Bye.